My spouse does not see a problem with our marriage. This is a common statement that is made to me, has been made to me over the years. And so I want to talk about it in this podcast, in this video that I'm presenting to you. My spouse doesn't see a problem in our marriage, and there is a reason for it. And so we really need to look at this at several different angles, because it could be that your spouse does see a problem in the marriage, but there are things that are hindering the spouse from stepping forward and and problem solving with the one who wants to work on the marriage. And so I titled this podcast, this video, My Spouse Does Not See a Problem with Our Marriage. I also have a a 2,800-word article for you so that you can read through everything that I'm about to share with you. My name is Rick Thomas. This is the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a ways to go, and so let me get started now. It is not unusual for a marriage to be out of balance or spiritually off kilter. Now, there are many reasons for this problem between two formerly inseparable people who now have something between them that keeps them asymmetrical. Before addressing how to deal with a spouse who does not see a problem in the marriage, now, I want to caveat that and say, I would imagine that in most of these cases, they know that there is a problem, and so maybe it would be better to think about it differently than what the title of this article suggests. I titled the article because that is a common complaint that people have given me over the years about their marriage. My spouse doesn't see a problem with the marriage. It's like saying that my spouse doesn't communicate. I understand what the struggling spouse is saying, but the truth is your spouse does communicate. It's just that your spouse is not communicating with you. In this marriage situation that I'm talking about in this podcast, it's probably not that the marriage or or the spouse doesn't see a problem with the marriage, probably what is going on is there's something else that has them caught. They're on a snag that keeps them from moving forward. And so before addressing how to deal with a spouse who does not quote unquote see a problem in the marriage, I have a few ideas of how these patterns could have been in the marriage from the beginning and they take they have taken a hold of the marriage and the couple has been has started drifting apart and so i want to share with you 22 possibilities 20 things that i want you to consider that can keep uh, couples apart and what i would like for you to do is you listen to this list think about your own marriage maybe you would want to slow this down because i'm going to move somewhat rapidly because i have a lot of material here in a short time to get to the end, but maybe you want to stop the video or the podcast or just go to this article on our website, My Spouse Doesn't See a Problem with the Marriage, and look at these 22 bad signs in a marriage, and again, maybe uh, that your spouse does see a problem, but some of these things are hanging them up. For example, number one, they have differing affections for Christ. One person has a greater affection for Christ than the other. Number two, one spouse is not a Christian. 
Number three, one spouse becomes a Christian after marriage. Number four, there are maturity disparities between them, meaning one spouse is more mature than the other. Number five, there are soul capacity disparities. Maybe their soul sizes are different, that they have greater internal capacities. Number six, they grow at a different spiritual pace. I see that often. and In fact, that's in every marriage because no two people can grow at the same time, the same way, the same pace, and be at the same place. And so obviously there are different spiritual paces within the marriage. Number seven, they have different or competing sin patterns. Number eight, one partner lies about why they are growing apart. Number nine, one partner is in self-denial regarding their true self. They're not able or unwilling to see themselves for who they really are. Number 10, there are jealousy, envy, bitterness, or unforgiveness issues in the marriage. This is very common, especially unforgiveness. There is something between them that they have not resolved, and it keeps them off kilter. Again, maybe the spouse sees that there is a problem, but because of unforgiveness, they are stuck. They are caught. Number 11, there is a lack of submission from the wife. Number 12, one spouse is clueless about how to be a spouse. They don't have a solid biblical template for being a spouse. Number 13, there is willful deception. 14, there is an intelligence disparity between them. Number 15, they came from different a different family setting. 16, they relate to people differently, and they haven't learned to relate to each other well because they have different personalities, ways of relating. And that's number 17, their personality differences. For example, one could be an introvert. The other one can be very outgoing. Number 18, a spouse is apathetic toward the marriage they have given up. Again, they can see a problem in the marriage, but they have just given up in this case. Number 19, they are competitors. Number 20, they don't know how to disciple each other. That's probably true for most marriages. Number 21, the husband has a conquer and move on mindset. He has a wife now, and so he's off to other aspirations and acquisitions. And then number 22, they have competing personal preferences. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. These are just some of the things that can create that off-kilter effect between a man and a woman. And again, perhaps that both people see that there is a problem, but because they haven't dealt with some of these issues here, uh, they're thinking about their marriage wrongly. And it's not that the spouse doesn't see that there's a problem. These other things are hanging them up. Now, if your marriage is off kilter, I am sure that several of these things contribute to the problems. The most significant and obvious matter is that they are on two different pages. Typically, one spouse is more in tune with what is going on and knows that things have to change. The other spouse is in a sin pattern or maybe multiple patterns, and now it has become evident. As the patterns persist, the other spouse will insist on things changing, though transformation is not a guarantee. And that's where the spouse who wants to see changes will have to buckle in for the long haul because repentance is a gift from God. 
Whatever the problems may be, the most critical issue is the spiritual dynamic. Something is wrong between the husband, the wife, and God. As you were listening to that list, you will note you, you noted how the first seven things that I mentioned, they all have a spiritual component to them. Though everything listed relates to the Lord, 8 through 22 are manifestations or outcomes or behaviors of the first seven. Let me go back and read these first seven things because, again, they are very much spiritually centered. They have differing affections for Christ. One spouse is not a Christian. One spouse becomes a Christian after marriage. Number four, there are maturity disparities between them. Uh, there are soul capacity disparities. Number six, they grow at different a different spiritual pace. Number seven, they have different or competing sin patterns. All seven of those have something to do with spirituality. And then eight through 22 are behaviors or manifestations or outcome of the spiritual component. For example, number eight, one partner lies about why they're growing apart. Number nine, one partner is in self-denial regarding their true self. And so as you look at the list, or if you go to the article here and look at the list, I want you to create a two-level list. One through seven is a decisively spiritual component, 8 through 22 are manifestations, outcomes, or behaviors of the first seven. The entire list is important, but 1 through 7 represents a person's authentic spirituality or how they relate to God. The difference between the two sections is between who a person is, 1 through 7, and what a person does, 8 through 22. If God is actively working in a person's heart, the destructive behaviors, 8 through 22, will at some point autocorrect, eventually autocorrect, if God is actively working in the person's heart, 1 through 7. For example, a spouse would be willing to set aside their preferences, that was number 22 on the list, if they had a profound and growing affection for Christ. That was number one on the list. If they do not have a deep and growing love for Christ, then the other spouse must prepare for more marriage problems because you can't have a right marriage if you don't have a growing, deepening, maturing affection for Jesus Christ. And so this issue is one of the things that is so troubling about people getting married. Oftentimes, they will give a courtesy nod to spiritual affections. They will give a courtesy nod to, yeah, we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what they end up doing is elevating other things that they put in a place of primacy. For example, they focus more on compatibility or similar preferences or family background or personal parents, she she looks quite lovely, or financial considerations and whether they go to church or not. Now, all of these things, I just gave you six, all of these things have their ranking in the who I want to marry lineup 
but none of them were more critical than spiritual affections. Many pastors, many counselors are more interested in testing the aspiring couple for compatibility than discerning the couple's spirituality. Before there were psychological evaluations, there was spiritual discernment. It doesn't take much to know if a person is a good fit for marriage. If they have been dating for a while, you can quickly gain insight into them. But sadly, spiritual affections, number one on the list, it gets pushed to the side. And then after five years or maybe less, they begin drifting apart. If they happen to have children within this time frame, they can chug along because of the distractions of being a family. Perhaps they limp to the empty nest stage before their ongoing problems come back and intensify. If a spouse has a strong, deep, and growing affection for God, there is a good chance the person they choose will want to be just like them. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. The couple will lead each other into mutual maturing affection for Christ if that is at the top of their list. One glance at the gospel affirms this perspective that I'm sharing with you. Christ had deep affection for his Father, which positioned him to help us to mature as Christ followers. Notice the formula. His affection for the Father impacted those around him. Imagine a boyfriend and future husband that this boyfriend could be had a fixation on doing the will of God. That's what Jesus talked about. I am here to do the will of God. He was so fixated on doing the will of his father. Imagine you had a boyfriend who becomes your future husband and he is fixated on doing the will of God. Wow. This kind of spiritual attitude will enable him to overcome any challenge in a marriage. Go back to the six things. I want to take you back to the six things that some lovers look for in a marriage partner. And I want to apply those things to Christ in a tongue-in-cheek way. As I apply those six things to Christ they fall woefully short. I mentioned, number one, compatibility. Well, Christ was not compatible with any of us. Number two, similar preferences. Christ had distinctly different preferences from us. Family background. His family background was otherworldly. Apparent. He was not much to look at, not the sexiest pick in Israel by a long shot, as we read Isaiah 53, verse number 2. Finances. His pillow was a rock and his ceiling was the sky. He wasn't financially loaded while living with us. And then finally, church life. He didn't go to church. He was the church. But Jesus had one thing that made him a great catch. He loved his father with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, and all of his strength. 
If you're not happily married, you may react to this because you're in the marriage now, and one of the spouses is just not getting it on with Christ. They don't have affection for Christ, and you could say, well, Rick, that's great. I see it now, but I made my bed, and it's pretty darn uncomfortable to sleep in when considering who is sleeping beside me. What do I do now? I am not saying these things to rub your nose in an immature or unwise decision that you made in the past. I am saying these things at the top here to break up any immoral or unwise dating relationship. What I've said thus far is well worth hearing if a couple would break up because they recognize that they're they're together for the wrong reasons, and one or both of them do not have deep affection for Christ. The wrong couple should break up rather than go to marriage counseling later to repair their disunity. If my warnings do not fall on deaf ears and they choose to avoid future heartbreak, praise God. But what about you to answer your question with the person that you are sleeping with who happens to be your spouse? You married a person who does not have deep and growing spiritual affections. What do you do? What can you do? The first thing to consider is what I've said about spiritual affections. Your spouse must change their relationship with God before focusing on marriage issues. If you are growing apart, the biggest problem is your spouse's understanding and application of the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is about God reconciling humanity to himself. It is about unity healing, redemption, adopting, justifying, sanctifying, glorifying. These are just some of the things that the gospel does. If you and your spouse are growing apart or managing the status quo, the gospel has lost its power in your relationship. The gospel is where you must begin. Your marriage is not something you can fix through your strength or a self-help marriage book. The gospel is not something to purchase, to manipulate, or bargain with or to control. It is a work of grace. The gospel is a free gift in a person's life. We came to know the gospel because of God's free grace, which empowered us to change. That is what the gospel does, and that's what you want in your spouse. May I restate or remind you again? Rarely does someone need new truth. What they need is old truth. They need reminding of what they already know. They need to hear the gospel again. I would love for you to go to Ephesians chapter 2, read verses 4 through 9. I have it here in this article. I'll not share it with you because of time, but I would love for you to carefully read this passage and think about what you already know about the gospel. Consider how free it was and how you could not make it happen, but God, according to his mysterious mercy, made it happen to you. Now, you have probably already discerned the first place that you have to go regarding your spouse and their lack of spiritual connectivity, well, it's to your knees. 
If you want your spouse to love you the right way, you have to go to the Father on their behalf. A person cannot love anyone correctly, correctly, effectively, or authentically until they love God most of all. Going back to point number one on my list of 22 things, spiritual affections, affection for Christ. Our hearts and behaviors must not be out of sync. If our hearts and actions mirror each other, then we will learn how to love each other correctly. No person can love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and not love their spouse and others wonderfully well. And so the best and most helpful thing you can do is spend time before your Heavenly Father on behalf of your spouse pleading for His mercy to be let loose for His glory and you all's mutual benefit. Once you properly align your heart with the Lord and actively seek Him on behalf of your spouse, then now you want to spend time assessing yourself. A few good friends are vital at this point to help you assess how you are doing as a marriage partner. It is possible that you could ask your spouse, but it may be wise to ask your friends to be honest with you before you ask your spouse. My wife for example, has received more of my sin than anyone else. My children rank second in this lineup, and you're no different. You have often sinned against your spouse. That is why I'm saying that you must address this matter. I have to address this matter. I want my spouse to be spiritually mature. I'm going to go to my knees and pray that God will make that happen, that the gospel will be activated in their life, But I don't want to detach myself from this process, and so there are a few things that I need to address in my own heart. I want a transforming life, too. If the gospel transforms me, then it will give my spouse fewer reasons to fuss. If you talk to your spouse about assessing you, In addition to asking your friends, I do want to prepare you for a harsh response because if you, like me, have sinned against your spouse more than any other human, which we have, it is possible that if you ask your spouse to assess you, they may give you that that harsh response. If you ask how you can change or how you can serve them more effectively, they may tell you. And they may tell you in an unkind way, and so you want to make sure uh, that you don't critique the messenger as much as you hear the message that they are telling you, even if that message is partially inaccurate, which it probably will be. And so let's say your spouse is 75% off in their assessment. They just missed it. It's subjective. What they told you is just wrong. Did you hear the 25% of truth that was within the untruth, that was within the unkindness that they shared with you? It takes a spiritual person to listen to the truth when the message is harsh or partly inaccurate. But if you're more interested in God's glory than your feelings, then you will be okay. God will give you grace, and you can change. Christ had to ignore a lot of our nonsense to honor his father. We were the knuckleheads who regularly messed things up, but his focus was not on his felt needs. 
He kept his eyes on the ball. Perhaps the Spirit of God wants to address something in your life as you have been thinking about why your spouse doesn't see that there's a problem in this marriage. Maybe he will use a knucklehead like your spouse to bring it to light. Listen to what the Spirit wants you to hear and make whatever changes that you need to make. What you don't want to do is to get in the way of God's work. If there are two problems on the table, you and your spouse start by taking one of the problems off the table, which is you. Though God can efficiently multitask by working on both of you simultaneously, why not cooperate with Him by keeping in step with the Spirit and making the changes that you need to make? Don't interfere with the work of God by stubbornly holding on to your rights or your hurts, a huge problem in too many marriages. May the Lord devote His total effort to your spouse because you are a cooperative servant. It could be that your spouse will not change, or maybe not change according to your timetable. I do not understand why it would be that way, but I do know it can be, and it has been for many spouses who are just stuck in a bad marriage. Now, this possibility is where you will have to check your heart. A few close friends can serve you here. God is not obligated to tell you his plans or give you what you want the way that you want it. He has called you to do one thing, and that is to trust him. Your marriage is an act of faith. You never know what you're going to get from it, but there is one thing that you can find rest and assurance in, and that is God loves you and he is working for your good. There have been many times when it was hard to believe what I just said here, but you must often remind yourself of this message, especially if your spouse does not change. Regardless of the outcome, You will stand in heaven and you will praise God for every decision the Lord has made and how he led you along the way. I have shared the story often about my wife leaving in 1988 and taking our two children with us. That was the longest nightmare of my soul. It was a 10-year, almost a 10-year period, not something that I want to want to repeat ever again, but I look back on those days and I do praise God for the journey. Sometimes I praise Him through tears because sin does leave marks. Perhaps you can't praise God today, and you don't think you ever will. But let's be honest, if you know God, you will praise Him someday. You know God is with you, and He will not leave you. You know in your heart of hearts that God is working His best in your life. And so your issues are more about, here are five things that I want you to consider. Your your struggle is more about, one, accepting the current reality of your situation. Number two, setting aside what you prefer for a greater good. Number three, cooperating with the Lord in his work in your life, as I have been laying out here in this podcast. Number four, hoping for a better day, which will come, maybe not in your timetable. Number five, actively trusting God through the process. Those five things can converge in your mind and put you in a spiritual funk if you allow them. Still yet, 
God is with you. Though you may not be able to persevere with God, He will persevere with you. He is there in Job thir- uh, in uh, Genesis thirty nine two I believe it says God was with Joseph. It's one of my favorite little short phrases in the entire Bible. That was right sandwiched right there in Joseph's uh, life as he was going down to Egypt and things were just going from bad to worse. God was with Joseph. He will persevere with you even if you cannot persevere with him. He is there, and he will bring you through this situation. Someday you will see, and you will know these things to be true, and your affections for God will be more intense than they are now. The title of this podcast is, My Spouse Does Not See a Problem with Our Marriage. I am suggesting that your spouse probably does see a problem in the marriage. I've given you 22 things to consider as far as uh, what is hanging your spouse up. I have uh, segmented them into 1 through 7, spiritual issues, and then 8 through 22 as practical issues. And what I would like for you to do, if you want to go a little deeper in uh, what I'm sharing with you here, is I have a seven uh, questions, uh, seven question sets in the call to action. And what I want you to do is to go to this article on our website, and I want you to work through these seven questions. I'm going to ask you to work through the list of 22 things, identify what belongs to you, what belongs to your spouse, create a plan to work through those things. And there's several other things here in the call to action. But again, the title of the article is, My Spouse Does Not See a Problem with Our Marriage. If we can help you in any way, please let us know and take advantage of these free resources from our ministry. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.